morning, everyone. Junior Church, you are dismissed to walk. Have you ever, what things do you sometimes do that you just go through the motions? Okay, so you don't really perform them thinking, you just kind of go through the motions. There's no thinking, there's no acting, there's no emotion. What do you go through the motions in? Driving. That's scary. Okay, do not get in front of Rod. Okay, anybody else? Paying taxes, you just go through the motions. I can see you grumbling. (laughs) What about going to work? Do you sometimes just go through the motions, get in there, get the job done, and just move on, and and you're really not paying attention to it? Or or what about going through school? Yes, go through the motions. I don't really care. I don't want to be here. I'm just going to fake it. Um, Do you ever go through the motions in your relationships? All the women just looked around going, he does. But what about going through the motions in church? Now, first off, we're all going to say, no, I, I don't. I don't ever do that. But we're going to look at this. As we continue our study through the book of Acts, we now come to, we're going to come through several events that are troubles in the church. There are troubles that erupt inside the church and go out, and there are troubles outside that come in. Last week, we looked at how the church was handled when they were told, you must be silent and stop preaching and teaching about Jesus. Today we're going to come to a trouble in the church that it's very odd, okay? Uh, When I first heard this, when I was younger and heard about this event, it made me wonder, why is this in here? How how could God do this? This is odd. The Bible teaches that in the last days there's going to be lawlessness. There's going to be a lot of bad things that are happening. A major part of lawlessness is the erosion of truth. Telling the truth under um, under oath is a benchmark for the legal system. False statements have been rising. I don't know if you know this. Um, it used to be when a witness would testify, he or she would put their hand on the Bible and they'd say, "I swear the I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth." And nothing but the truth. So help me God. See, you guys knew it all. How many of you have been witnesses that you had to do that? Six, seven. And yet all of eight, all of us knew it because it's a benchmark of our judicial system that we tell the truth, all of the truth, nothing but truth, according to God. Well, since we don't want the holy God to involve, be involved in our country anymore, the words to uh, witnesses are, do you affirm to tell the truth? That's it. Basically, do you say you're going to tell the truth? Now, the government tracks how many murders are committed each year, the numbers of rape, robbery, aggravated assault, burglary, larceny, vehicle theft, and all of them. They keep track of them uh, per city, per state, and for the country. And you can go on and look, and I was doing research trying to find out all the numbers, and I I just don't want to look at those numbers anymore because I don't like them. But one thing, and I read from several lawyers, judges, and law enforcement, no one keeps statistics for perjury or false statements, lies told under oath. Even though 
these are felonies punishable up to five years in prison. The reason they don't keep track of it, there is so much of it, the court system would be overwhelmed with just prosecuting perjuries. So they don't keep track of it. Now, what is perjury? Because there's going to be people, what, what is perjury? Perjury is lying with a fancy title. That's my line right there. That's what it is. You are promising to tell the truth and you purposefully lie. Now, in the 16th century, perjury was typically punished by cutting out their tongue. Yeah. Or, this is the, the better one, they would put you in the stocks and nail your ears to the boards. Do you think people were kind of persuaded to make sure they told the truth? Yes. I would call that an, a good incentive. Maybe we should go to that. Perjury was a crime in American colonies and still continues to be a crime, but false statements and perjury, um, is, while it's outlawed, it is no longer controlled or contained or generally even prosecuted. But we're not here to talk about America. Let's get into this. The early church, as we read in Acts, started four chapters ago. It's a growing church, and somebody really hates this church. Somebody really hates this movement, this group of people following God, listening to the Holy Spirit, and preaching it, and his name is Satan. Satan is trying to infiltrate and ruin this church. And as the church grows in faith and numbers, so do all the complications and troubles. Because you bring in more people, you bring in more baggage. You bring in more problems or opportunities for problems. As they grow in those faith and numbers, those things arise. And how we handle, how the church handles these troubles will either help continue that growth or it's going to hinder. And so we're going to look at a instance here in scripture where there was a time of this. Acts chapter 4 verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind. That's a very encompassing scripture. It didn't say some, every other, most of. All of the believers were united in heart, their compassion, their devotion, their love, and in their thinking, their mind. They felt what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people. Notice, all the people were doing this. All of this was there, and there were no needy people among them, because those who own land or houses would sell them, bring the money to the apostles, and give to those in need. As the church grew in this time, there was a total unity in heart and in mind. They grew to know and love each other. It was a spontaneous togetherness. They loved it. They couldn't get enough of each other. There is a growing together in love. Jesus said that people will know you are Christians by your love and how you show love to God and each other. The early church rejoiced in Jesus Christ, shared food together. They prayed together. They learned truth together. We saw this in Acts 2, uh, 42 and, and on. They were doing all these things together. They constantly revealed their love to one another in multiple ways. Because of this, the church gained a new outlook 
on their possessions. Instead of clinging to them, they recognize that they belong to God and therefore they're at His disposal. And that means they should use them or give them to anyone in need. Today, many people piously tell God they want to see their possessions. They belong to God and He can use them. But it's a different matter when an offering plate comes by or when somebody says, man, I'm really needing this. And they're like, oh, I'll just pray for you. There's a sense that we want to do it, but to let go of our billfolds. They they treated their possessions as available to anyone who needed them as long as I get to dictate it. In this scripture, it said having given them to God, they... They put it into practice. They treated their possessions and said, here, you take it, you do whatever. There's no constraint on anyone. They, they didn't sit there and say, well, I'm going to give this, and you church leaders, make sure you use it for this. I'm going to put in the little tagline, it has to go here. They said, you know what, you're the spiritual leaders, you decide. I'm going to just trust God, here it is. You give it to who's in need. They had this openness to distribute the funds as they saw fit. As the church grew, they together, the church, met the needs of each other. That's the first thing we see here. They grew and they decided to meet the needs of each other. You know what that tells me? We're a growing church. So what do we need to do? We need to meet the needs of each other. We don't need to be going out for handouts somewhere else. We need to go for encouraging, stand beside, and let me walk you through and help you in this. I've got something you need. It's yours. If you need a fish tank, I'll give you one. Or three, my wife says. I have seven going right now. I can give you one or two. And I have empty ones that I could still. Nobody needs one? (laughs) Fine. But we need to... Meet these needs, right? Let's go on. This is where it gets uncomfortable. Acts 4, 34 and 35. There were no needy people among them. Because those who owned land or houses would sell them. Bring the money to the apostles to give out to those in need. After using up their own personal hand assets, they sold their other possessions. It's not just, well, I have 50 bucks on me, I'll give that. It's, let me go get rid of some more stuff so I can fund this even more. They sold lands and houses and brought it to the apostles. They didn't earmark it, they just said, here. See, the church, the early church practiced radical giving. This, when we read this, is like, that can't be. I mean, come on. I'll tell you right now, I believe every word in the Bible believe it is God's word, it is his truth, it is inspired and absolutely true. And it says they all met, they all were united, they were all taking care of each other, and there were no needy people within the church. It didn't say the community here, this is within the church. So that means if someone's in the church, it's our job to take care of them, to help support them, to encourage them, to be there with them. They will know we are Christians by our love. With greater love than to give up of something we want or we think we need and sacrifice it for somebody else. They practiced radical giving. And this giving was based on their faith in Jesus. I talked with a church that was getting ready for a building project. 
Uh, they had people, this is true, they had people who started selling their lake houses. Um, they had people giving up cable TV for a year or two years, uh, selling spare vehicles. They were doing all these things. Well, a couple families said, we're not going to go on vacation. We're going to donate all that money towards this just to get to the church. And so many other churches were like, wow, those people love their church. They are committed. But I want to ask you, why do we wait for a big building project? That's what I, as I was reading, I was like, well, why don't I give now? Why don't I sit there and just say, you know what, God, you gave me this extra. It's not really extra. You use it. There you go. Well, why is it that I have to wait? That, that's what I wondered. Why not show our love for Christ in this church by being radical in our giving now? And notice here, we're going to go to verse 36. For instance, in talking about this, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas. Not just any Joseph, the specific one. Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi. Don't get him mistaken from any other Joseph that was maybe nicknamed Barnabas. He's from the tribe of Levi. Came from the island of Cyprus. Luke is being very specific here. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. We have to understand they are specifically talking. Joseph, who is called Barnabas. Barnabas is going to make several appearances later on in the book of Acts. Why do they call him Barnabas? He's the son of encouragement. How many of you have sons that you could call Barnabas? Mom? She's not answering me. My mom's over here. Yeah. It means son of encouragement. That, what does that mean then? He was encouraging other people. He was encouraging the church. He was encouraging, supporting, uplifting, encouraging in faith. Our finances have a tricky hold on many of us. We don't like to talk about it. And, and I've heard so many people say, um, we don't want to hear it in the church. All I ever hear is sermons on money. And I told you, I don't preach a lot about money. And that was a, a week ago. And then a couple weeks ago, I said it also. Let me just say something. I don't preach a lot on money. But it does come up time to time because... It's in the Bible. And as we're going verse by verse in the book of Acts, if it's in there, I'm going to say it. Not because I think you need to hear it, but because God said we all need to know it. If we read a text that talks about finances, then we're going to address it. Uh, whenever I do preach specifically and talk about money, it's never meant to guilt. It's never meant to shame anyone. In fact, I'm going to say this right now. If you are a visitor to the church, we do not expect you to give money. There are offering boxes in the front and back. Those are not for you. Those are for the people who have committed. We want to support and encourage the people here in this church, in this community. We are trusting God and giving our our gifts and tithes and offerings here. If you want to give as a visitor, that's great. That's between you and God. But those are not designed for you. They're designed for our people, the ones who have committed to do that. So do not feel like, well, I have to give because I went and listened to them. Nope. That's fine. Your tithe and offering is between you and God. I'll tell you this. I don't know what anybody in this church family gives at all, except my wife and I. That's it. I don't know what anybody gives, and I don't want to know what anybody gives. That is not my business. 
is between you and God. Finances influences us, and generally it really hits us in a negative way. In Genesis 3, Israel was on the verge of taking possession of, a, of the promised land, and Achan was filled with greed and almost brought that whole project to a halt. When Judas became disappointed with Jesus, his love for money led him to betray Jesus, resulting in leading into that crucifixion. Barnabas, on the other hand, showed faith and devotion to God. It overruled his bank account. But let's go into chapter 5 now, Acts 5. But there was a certain man named Ananias, who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. They brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. You kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was yours to give away. How could you do this thing? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young man got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. This is a weird scene. This is why we don't preach this and then do an offering. Okay? We do it beforehand. I don't want to know. Can you imagine how scary it would be? Hey, how much are you giving today? Let's go get some sheets. This, this would be terrifying. And too many people, let me just say too many people claiming or to say that they are preaching the word of God have used this context that you need to get more money. That is not what the scripture says at all. That is an abuse of these scriptures. They're misquoting it. Peter says it in Acts 5.4, the property was yours to sell or not, as you wished. After selling it, the money was yours to give. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us. You were lying to God. This passage is not about giving. That's not what this passage is about. It's not about your offering or tithe or how much you're giving to the church. The point of this incident is a rejection of God, of the kingdom of God, while professing that you accept it. That is what this is about. Ananias planned this out. It wasn't that he just decided to say it or a slip of the tongue. He wanted recognition because we just saw in the previous verses, there's a certain man named Joseph. You know him as the one who's called Barnabas. He's from the tribe of Levi, and he's from this island, that same Barnabas. And Ananias wanted the recognition. He wanted to be like that. Ananias says, well, if Barnabas can sell some property and get some recognition, I want it. Verse 2 shows that he made a plan to proclaim it's this huge, generous gift, and that his wife was in on the deception. It says that multiple times. See, Barnabas gave money to honor God. Ananias gave money because he wanted to be honored. And that's the distinction, and it wasn't about the amount it was about the intent. 
And this happens in the world. And this happens in the church. We all know this, but it happens. I've seen people want to sing specials on stage just so they get recognition, just so they could get that pat on the back. I've seen, seen some people want to give a large amount of money to the church just to have their name mentioned, put on a plaque or something. They wanted that attaboy. I've seen people donate items just so they could be praised. I've even seen men get up and proclaim their own greatness within a sermon. I'm not kidding. I, I have seen a guy get up and preach at a funeral about how good he is. I've seen this invade the church. And it's wrong. Things are blatantly wrong. And too many people accept it and promote it. Ananias wanted recognition and get that, he lied. He lied to the church. But Peter says it's not us you lied to. He lied to God. Peter said it. And, and so right here, what we need to understand is we cannot hide our inner motives from God. You may be able to hide your inner motives from other people in this church, but you cannot hide them from God. Uh, God says it in Malachi 1.14, Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrificed a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. How dare you promise me something like this and then give me this? I am God. No one likes to be cheated. Least about God. But this event isn't over. That was the first part. Let's go to verse 7. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that is the price. And then Peter said, how could the two of you ever think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her next to her husband. First off, can we just say, those poor young guys, they came to church service, turned into a funeral, they finally get back ready for the communion and everything, got to do another one. Some people have a hard time with this passage. I've heard people say, this is harsh, it's very judgmental, it's negative. But that's because they're looking at Ananias and Sapphira thinking they're the victims. They're not. They're the perpetrators. God and the church are the victims. From the beginning, they planned it out, it says. It was a deliberate act of deceit. They were doing this to God. They were doing it to the church. At this time, we just read that the church was of one mind. They were united in heart and in, in thinking. They were devoted to one another. And these two were pretending. They were going through the motions. It, it, is it so bad, though? I mean, they gave money to the church. It was going to help somebody. It, isn't that good enough? Well, let's think about that. Let's take that uh, thinking 
and carried out? What would happen if they were allowed to live out in this going through the motions? What would happen to that unity and that one mind? Instead, the church of being united in truth and love, there would start to be divisions. Going through the motions of faith always causes division. This would have begun to eat at the whole fabric of unity. Pretense, pretending, cannot be kept up for long before it edges away and you start seeing the truth. Their attitude would soon feed other people. The word would have eventually gotten out. You said that you gave the full amount, 10000 I'm just throwing a number. But yet we know that you sold it for fifteen. You lied. And just think, oh, people are going to say, Barnabas gave this much. Ananias and Sapphira, they gave this much. They're just great pillars in the community of our faith and church. And other people are over here going, hypocrites, liars, cheats. And this unity is divided. The church at this point was open and honest, and these two were secretive and dishonest. The church was looking to God as being there with them and acting among them. These two were treating God as though he was far off and didn't know what they were doing. The church was fully dedicating itself to God, and these two had dedicated to themselves. They were holding back. What they were doing was insidiously dangerous because it could have brought this great revival of the church to death. That's what it would have happened. Having sold the land, receiving the money, Ananias puts part of it away, brings it, lays it at the apostles' feet, and says, it is the full amount. This is not about the amount. It's about the intent. It's about the heart. He waited for praise and adulation and applause and honor. He knew he was going to receive this. I can tell you right now, there was a time I preached this sermon and I got down. I was like, man, they're going to love this. This was a great sermon. I I nailed it. It was perfect. It was awesome. And an elder at the church came, put his arm around me. He goes, that's the worst sermon you've ever preached. My big head went... I knew I was going to get praise and adulation, and I was so wrong. See, I didn't preach that sermon for them. I didn't preach it for God. I preached it for me, and that's why it was the worst sermon in the world. Ananias didn't give money for God. He gave for himself. Ananias and Sapphira both had closed their hearts to God. And when we come in wanting to be praised, wanting to be adored and applauded, we are closing our hearts and our minds to God and making ourselves the supreme ruler and leader of everything. In verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep part of this, the price of the land for yourself? Can you imagine his face? He came in, look at all this money I gave, ready for a pat on the back. And then Peter says, liar. You lied. Can you imagine the drain on his face? I've seen kids who have been caught lying and they're like, oh no, I didn't. And their face just started draining because they've been caught. He revealed himself as who he was. He wasn't full of the Holy Spirit. 
Ananias and Sapphira weren't full of the Holy Spirit. See, Ananias and Sapphira had invited Satan into their life, and they invited Satan into the church. And we need to see that that is a huge distinction here. When we go through the motions of our faith, when we are faking it, it pleases Satan. It brings Satan honor and glory when we fake it. Peter recognized this as not just an actions of two rather foolish people, but he said this is Satan himself. We must not just see the failure of Ananias and Sapphira as a slight coming short of the required standard. They allowed Satan into their life and brought him into the church. That is harsh. Why did the two deserve to die? This was just about money. No, it wasn't about money, was it? It was about bringing Satan into the unity of God's people. The sons of Aaron, who were priests, offered false fire. They didn't go through the right motions and the right ways to get fire for the altar. And in Leviticus 10, they died. They went through the motions and proclaimed, this is the holy fire. This is what God has told us to do. And their punishment was death. Earlier I said Achan. He kept some of the treasures of Jericho for himself when they were told this has to be an offering for God because of what he has done. We didn't destroy this city. We didn't conquer this city. God did. So all these things are going to be dedicated to God, and he hid it. He kept it. And what was his punishment? Death. Those were times at the beginning of something new. When Aaron's sons were doing this, it was the beginning of a whole new temple worship. And they were bringing in Satan. When Jericho was destroyed and God was bringing his people into a new land, into a new land of promises, Achan brought Satan in. And death had to happen. And here in the church, Ananias and Sapphira, this brand new church, they invite Satan in and God has to kill it. He has to stop it because the church is precious. The church cannot have the troubles of Satan because Jesus died for the church and Satan has no power or victory over it unless we bring him in. We are the culprits of this. A big problem for Christians is going through the motions. And when we do that, we mock God. Thinking we can pull one by or that it really doesn't matter. Going through the motions of faith is perjury. It's a lie to God. I was challenged one time when you're singing a song, if you don't mean it, don't sing it. And it was a simple song, I love you, Lord. But I had to stop. Do I really mean this? And I listened to the rest of the song and I was talking to God. Do I... God, I, want, I don't want to sing this as a lie. I don't want to go through the motions of worship. Many times we do. We sing the songs because it's up there, and, and we've got people up front, and it's time to sing the songs, so we sing it, and we're not paying attention to the words. And then it's communion time, and, oh, now we've got to listen to this guy, and, I, yeah, i got to get up and, and get the little snack stuff. And, and then I'll sit down, and then I'm going to start thinking about other things and go through the motions. And then the loud mouth gets up there and starts talking, and he's taking too long, and dinner's going to burn, and I want to get to the restaurant. Or we go through the motions. 
And then his closing song, all right, now we can get ready to go, and I don't even know what song we just sang. And I went through the motions. I'm just talking about me. I wasn't talking about you. I fight it. I'll tell you right now, I sometimes get tired of being in the building. I'm here five to seven days a week. I don't want to be here anymore. It's not about the building, is it? We we had a crew of people who came and, and did a lot of work around the, the building, outside and some inside, and it was great fellowship and all that. And I woke up that morning going, I don't want to go. It was just there. I don't want to go. I get paid to go. You guys are good. You guys come because it's volunteers. The devotion and the heart is so much more in you. And I came, and you know what? I had a great time. It was a good fellowship. Loved being with you guys. And I had to go quick going through the motions and actually do it. We need to quit going through the motions. When we go through the motions, we're trying to sound religious or spiritual. We're trying to save face towards other people around us. But we are really turning our backs to God. Going through the motions is a problem in the early church as we just saw it, but it continues to be a problem. But the event isn't over. It started with Barnabas, and it kind of took a negative turn with Ananias and Sapphira, but look at the result, Acts 5.11. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what happened. Don't go to that church. If we started to have a service and two people died because they lied, I don't know how many of you would come back next week. It would scare us. But the fear they're talking about is not trepidation. It was an authentic, this is a holy thing. This is a spiritual thing. And the church grew. Why did the church grow? Because people said, you know what, I'm going to give because I know it's God. I'm going to serve because I know it's God. I'm going to do these things because it's God. Not because of me. Not because of the apostles. Not because of Peter. But because of God. And the rest of the community says there is something there. I've said many times, I love this church. You guys are amazing. We have a great reputation, despite the preacher. And you know why we have a great reputation? Because we have a bunch of people here with a heart for God. They have a heart for each other. I, I, I had no doubt, I struggled with this sermon, because I didn't want it to come out that I need you guys to give money. I didn't want it to come out that you guys were struggling and sinful and going through the motions. I didn't want it to be negative like that, but I couldn't figure out how to go about this. Because it's right there. It's in his word. And I promise I will preach what his word is. And then I struggled. Wednesday night, came back into the office, was working on it some more. And I'm like, God, what do you want here? How do I present this? And I kept reading it. And he said, they're my people, not yours. Like, yeah, that's, that's true. I, he's going to speak to you, not me. So I said, okay, God, I'll say what's in here. And after I finished writing this stuff up, I started thinking, I'm like, you know what, I, I am I'm absolutely positive if somebody in our church came up 
to one of the leaders and said, you know, I, I need this. Do you know where I can find it? It'd be there in a week, if not sooner. I have no doubt. Like, I, I am stating it right now. I truly believe it. It could be groceries. It could be a, a bill paid. It could be, you want a puppy? I'll find you one. If you need a puppy. If you need a cat, you need a psychiatrist. <laughs> Just say The news of what happened here spread. Verse 11. And all who heard it, and they knew, they knew something there. The whole church was filled with awe and the recognition. I mean, look at that. Great fear, great awe gripped them. And they didn't quit coming to church. They went in greater numbers. Many unbelievers heard also about what was going on. Because you know what would happen? That's what happened at my church this week. We had two funerals. It was awesome. That's not what they said. But they talked about how God showed up. How God showed up. Despite Satan being invited. And I kept thinking about that. Satan was working in this early church. And, and many unbelievers heard. And they start thinking about their lives at this time. In their deaths, Ananias and Sapphira would actually achieve more than they did in their life. In their dying, they actually brought the church to say, yes, it absolutely has to be of one mind, of one unity, of one heart towards the one God. And it refueled them and it spread the word even more. I think we can take away here is how going through the motions is absolutely a sin. What's the flip side of that? When we come together, which I love this church because we do this, even yesterday, pouring rocks and pulling weeds, God shows up. When we come together in one heart and mind, God shows up in a mighty way. When we start lifting up and encouraging one another, God is right there and he's doing even more. I love this church. Because it is evident to me and so many people that God is right here. And so while I'm not worried about how much you're giving, I want to make sure that we are united in one heart and one mind because then we will see Satan expelled, the gates of hell tremble, and this world say, that's a church. And I think it's already doing it. I'm excited for this. So this crazy, weird sermon, the scripture here, that's the beginning of something moving even greater in this. And if you haven't ever been a part of that, I want to invite you. Come join the best church that I know of in this area. But this is my favorite church that I've ever been to. Because these people love God. They love God. If you've never been a part of that, come talk to the elders or I, and we'll talk to you about what that means. And because we love God, let's go back to Him and worship. Let's stand and let's lift Him up and thank Him that we can be united in one heart and one mind.